Thank you, Dan. It's a pleasure to be here this morning. About uh, three weeks ago, Andrew got in touch with me and um, said he was going to be gone this week and wanted to know if we'd come and fill the pulpit. And uh, it's an honor to be here to uh, to serve and uh, fill in for Andrew this morning. I asked him, though, he talked to him last night on the phone, and I said, I know it's fall break, and uh, you know attendance is usually down when there's a substitute uh, pastor filling the pulpit. And I said, curious just to know where you're going. I said, you're going to Florida, I guess, fall break. And he said, no, we're actually going to Chicago. I'm like, why in the world would you go to Chicago on fall break when you can go to Florida? I mean, the Cubs are in Chicago. Now, why would you go to Chicago? But um, he said he was having a good time. They're visiting with parents, I think, along the way, too, on their way up there as well. I would ask you this morning, if you would, um, as you're listening, uh, please be in prayer for Cloverport Baptist Church. I've been serving as interim there for about 10 months now, and they are voting on a full-time pastor this morning. Uh, as we worship here, they're doing that over there. Uh, so pray for them as they conduct that, that vote this morning and that God's will would be done. And I'm sure he has great things in store for that church for years to come. Uh, one of the things I love about, uh, we're in the process, my wife Carolyn and I is here with me and seven of our nine children as well, that uh, we've been raising our uh, support for our missionary uh, ministry that we'll be doing here shortly. We hope to leave in the next month or so to the Republic of Georgia. But one of the things that I've enjoyed uh, over the last year is we've been speaking to many churches and individuals about what God is doing in our lives and what we hope that he'll be doing as we get to the mission field is just having the opportunity to visit so many churches and hear from people and hear from what God is doing at other churches. Because, you know, we hear so much negative in our, um, our world today, in our country, in our state about, oh, churches are declining and bad things are going on, even in the SBC. You know, it gets discouraging when you hear those things. But that's not what I have experienced. I've experienced uh, over the last year that God is still working. He's still working in the SBC. He's still working in churches. And it's encouraging to be able to visit so many churches and see how God is moving. And uh, it's just been encouraging to us. And uh, just wanted to share that with you as uh, we um, share this morning. Turn back to Matthew if you're still not there. Matthew chapter 9. We're going to look at verses 35 through 38 and hopefully see the harvest through Jesus' eyes this morning. I appreciate uh, Jeff and all his help, as always, um, when I've been here and for um, his reading this passage of Scripture. I want to just go back over and read it again as we begin this morning. Matthew chapter 9, beginning in verse 35. It says, Jesus was going through all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. And seeing the people, he felt compassion for them because they were distressed and dispirited like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore, beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. In Acts chapter 1, Jesus was about to ascend into heaven, and he gave his followers some final instructions if you remember it in Acts chapter 1, I want you to look at what the disciples or, or what his followers were interested in when Jesus was about to ascend to his Father in heaven. In Acts chapter 1 verse 6, it says this, When they had come together, when Jesus and his followers had come together, they were asking him, saying, Lord, is it at this time you are restoring the kingdom to Israel? 
And when I read that, do you know what I think they were basically communicating to Jesus? They were basically saying, what are you going to do for us and when? Lord, you know, we've seen you do great things over the the last, you know, three years. Uh, You have risen from the dead. So we want to know now, as you're getting ready to leave, what great things are you going to do for us and when? And here was Jesus' reply in verse 7 and 8. He said, it is not for you to know times or epochs which the Father has fixed by his own authority. Verse 8 says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest part of the earth. You know, when I read that, I think, you know, we're kind of in some ways today no different from the disciples. Because I believe that sometimes our church, our churches, has forgotten its mission. Jesus said, I don't want you to worry about all these things that you think I can do for you. Here's what you need to be doing. And he basically you know, gave them the, the great commission there. You know, the, the Barna Research Group, they've been putting together and gathering and analyzing information concerning churches since 1984. And just recently, they found that 53% of Americans today are lost and on their way to hell. That's over half the people that we would run into today are, are lost people. And I believe it's a growing population more, more and more people each year are added to this category. Some people believe it may even be as high as 75% of the population in the United States are lost. Do you know that we had more missionaries come to the United States last year than any other country in the world? We had missionaries from Brazil, from South Korea. If you haven't been to Southern Seminary recently, look and see how many South Koreans there are getting a training at Southern Seminary and going out into the world. There are lost people all around us today. I think that is why Jesus said here in Matthew chapter 9, the harvest is plentiful. There are plenty of people out there, uh, souls to be reached, souls to be saved. There there are people to reach. There, There is work to be done. And I think one of the greatest dangers of the church today is that we don't see this as important work. We, we see the, the work that's going on within individual churches as important, but we don't see the global harvest as important as it was when Jesus ascended. Most everything else we do comes before the work of reaching the lost with the gospel. But as, as Jesus ministered to the needs of the people all around him, we know that he met their physical needs, but he was able to see beyond just their physical needs. He was more interested in seeing the deepest needs of their hearts. And so as Jesus looked at the multitudes here in Matthew chapter 9, and he saw the multitudes around him, in verse 36 it says that he was moved with compassion for them. Not because he just saw their physical needs, that these were people that were starving and had diseases and needed healings. I believe it was was more than that. He felt compassion for them because he saw the reality of the need of the people around them, and he saw them as they were, and, and, and he sought to share the, this insight with his disciples. He was looking deeper than just physical needs. And he was trying to get his disciples to see something even greater than that. And I believe he wants us today to see the lostness of humanity as he does. He wants us to see people as they really are. He wants us to, see, uh, he wants us to be moved in our hearts for lost people just like he was. 
He wants us to be able to see the harvest through his eyes. And that is what I would like for us to see this morning as well. I want us to see lost people that are around us everywhere like Jesus saw them. And so there's four things I want to point out this morning that Jesus saw in the, in the harvest. And the first thing he saw was he saw the pity of the harvest. He saw just how bad it was. Look at verse 36 again. It says, seeing the people, here it is again, he felt compassion for them. He was deeply troubled by them. He felt for these people because they were distressed and they were dispirited, basically like having no shepherd they were like a bunch of sheep just wandering around. And the, the Greek word there for compassion means gut-wrenching. It, it's where we get our English word for spleen. It's this deep concern and, and moving in our heart for other people. Have you ever really felt that deep before for somebody that was so lost? It was just gut-wrenching. It was constantly on your mind. You were so consumed with, with this person that was lost. The Bible defines the meaning of compassion in several ways. In Proverbs 31, verse 8 and 9, it says this. It says, open your mouth for the mute, for the rights of all the unfortunate. Open your mouth, judge righteously, and defend the rights of the afflicted and the needy. That's how Jesus felt. He said, we need to be speaking out for those people who have these deep needs and deep longings, not only physically, but spiritually. We need to be going and meeting their needs. And we do so by taking action instead of just, you know, talking about helping others. We, we do a lot of that. We, we talk about, oh, there's this great need. We need to be reaching these people. But so often we don't do anything about it. We don't, we don't follow up. Look at what John says in 1 John chapter 3, verse 18. John says, little children, let us not love with word or with tongue, but also with actions and in truth. And when Jesus looked at lost people around him, he saw them as they really were. He saw them as lost people that were just wandering around. And he was able to look beyond the, the facades of their self-sufficiency and their, their self-righteousness and their self-confidence. We have a lot of people like that around us today, don't they? You know, they, they put on this facade and they, they convince us that everything's cool, everything's okay, but deep down inside they're just hurting. A lot of us Christians are like that. We, we do really well at, at putting on this facade to make people think, hey, we got it all together when we're hurting inside. Jesus was able to look beyond all of that. He, he saw the pain. He saw the loneliness. and he, he saw the misery. And he felt compassion for them. Verse 36 also says that Jesus saw a people who were distressed. And the Greek word there means he saw people who were just continually growing weary. Things just were not getting better for them. It was just continuing to get worse and worse. The, the people were growing weary under the, the load of their sin for the most part, but also they were growing weary because the, the Pharisees and the religious officials were putting all these burdens upon them. You know, oh, you've got to do this and you've got to do that and you, you've got to follow the law. And Jesus said, I'm, I'm coming to take all that away. He saw that. It says he also saw people who were scattered. The Greek word for scattered there literally means to be cast down or to be thrown out. To, to the world, these people were just, were just you know, worthless. And Jesus said he saw that. that They were dispirited. They were scattered. They, they were people who were wandering aimlessly through life with, with no direction and, and no concern about what happened to them after they died. There's a lot of people like that in our world right around us today. They're just wandering around. 
and they don't really care what happens, especially after they die. They, they were people who lived life with no shepherd for their souls. And, and Jesus saw a people who were utterly and hopelessly lost. That's what this passage is getting at. Jesus saw these people. And we need to see the multitudes just like Jesus saw them. You know, if we look into the hearts of people today, we, I think we will see turmoil. We'll, we'll see fear. We'll definitely see loneliness and, and desperation. We will see people who have no answers to their questions. We'll, we'll see people that have a lot of problems. But will we see them as Jesus saw them? People who needed Jesus. You know, we live in a world today. We, we live in a country today. We, we live in a community today full of lost people who need to hear the gospel. But a lot of those people are just antagonistic. They don't want to hear it. They have no desire to hear the gospel. They, they want to be helped physically. They want all their needs to be met. Just don't put all that religion stuff on me. Same way with people in Jesus' day. But I believe that if we could pull away the, the layers of our lives and, and look into their souls, that we would see people who really are afraid to die and they just don't know how to live because they don't have Christ in their life. They are, they are people without hope and they need someone to see them as they really are. They need someone who can see them as they are and still love them. I was talking to a friend down in, in uh, Jonesboro, Georgia a few nights ago. We were on our way back from, from Florida and uh, we got to talk and he said, you know, I used to be one of these kinds and he's, uh, I don't know, late 60s. He said, I used to be one of these kinds of people. He said, it really bothered me to see somebody that had tattoos. And I said, I'm right there with you. I know what you're talking about. He said, but their daughter just married a guy a few years back full of tattoos. And he was as lost as could be. He said, I don't feel that way anymore because it's just another lost person that needs Jesus. I said, brother, I'm the same way. And these people that got the piercings and everything in their nose and tongue and ears and stuff. But he's like, do, do we really see people, though, for who they are? And do we still love them, even if they're different from us? Because Jesus did. He saw them for who they were, that they were really lost people. And I think that what Jesus really saw was the end of these people's existence. He knew that without a relationship with him, they were all doomed to perish and go to hell. I think that's why mainly he felt so much compassion for them, not simply because they were you know, in need, but he saw on down the road that these people, if, if things didn't happen in their lives, if they did, did not receive him, they were going to be doomed for all eternity. Do we see people that way today like Jesus saw them? I think that's what we need to see today about our friends and our neighbors and our family. They, they may look like they have it all together, but so many of them are lost and they're headed to hell. You know, something we don't talk about much anymore. You know, lost people aren't just going to die and cease to exist. They're, they're on their way to hell if they don't have Christ in their life. Can you see them today as they really are today as, as Jesus saw them? You know, he knew their condition, yet he loved them. And may God help us to see their, their needs today and still love them through Jesus' eyes. So first of all, he saw the pity in the harvest. Second, though, he saw the potential of the harvest. First part of verse 37 says, Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful. In other words, there's a lot of people out there, guys. There's plenty of potential 
to reach these people. See, Jesus looked at the crowds around him and he saw a huge harvest field. A a huge harvest that was just waiting to be reaped. And I'm certain that what the disciples saw were people pushing and shoving just trying to get closer to Jesus. Get them away. We don't want to mess with these people. And Jesus is saying, no, it's a huge harvest. He saw more. He, He didn't just see the problems that all these people had. He saw the potential of reaching them. He saw men and women who needed to be saved by His grace. He, he saw a harvest that was ripe for the picking. And he said, you guys got to get at it. He, he looked beyond their condition and, and their destination and He saw a people that could be delivered and, and be changed and be saved. What do you see when you look at people all around you today? Do you see what Jesus sees in in lost people? Do you see lost sinners and their filthiness and vile? Do you see uh, lost people who just live like dogs and they really don't care about their life? Do you see people as they are? Do you see them as Jesus saw them? You see, Jesus saw saw them not as they were, but as they could be. And I believe that we really need that same kind of vision if we're going to reach people in this day and in our time. John chapter 4 tells us that one day Jesus stood with his disciples outside a city of the Samaritans named Sychar. If you remember the story, the, the Samaritans, you know, they were these people that, that uh, were despised by the Jews because during the, the, when the time they were exiled, they started marrying uh, pagans and and the Jews didn't look too kindly on Samaritans. And so Jesus, you know, was in the, the city one day and, and he, smoked, he spoke to this sinful Samaritan woman. And he spoke to her and, and he reached out to her because he saw her not just as she was, but as she could be if she were saved, if she accepted him. And you remember the disciples returned and like, oh, what is he doing with this Samaritan woman? Because they didn't get it. They didn't see her like Jesus saw her. He saw her as a lost person who needed to be saved. And you know, he, he saved her, and as a result, many Samaritans were also saved because Jesus looked at the harvest as, as being everywhere, and he saw it as plentiful, even amongst the Samaritans. And so there in Acts chapter 1, as he's getting ready to ascend, he encourages them, you are to go into all places, even into Samaria, places you may not want to go. Jesus' words to his disciples in John chapter 4, verse 34 and 35 are, are very interesting as well, too. He said, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. He says, Do you not say there are yet four months and then the harvest comes? Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields that they are white for harvest. You see, the disciples were being too judgmental of all these people. And Jesus says, Look around you. He says, the harvest is ready right now. It's, it's white for harvest. So do you see the truth that Jesus is trying to get across to his followers? He's saying, you've got to see people as they are and be willing to reach them. There, there are people all around us who need Christ. And he tells us, he said, there's potential. The harvest is plentiful. Many people are ripe for picking. We merely need to just see them as Jesus saw them. And stop being so judgmental. We have to see the harvest through Jesus' eyes. Third thing we see about this passage is we we see the pity of it, we see the potential, and we also see that there is a problem. 
In the last part of verse 37, he says, The harvest was plentiful, but the workers are few. So there's people out there to be reached. Where's the people that's going to reach them? Now, Jesus ascended. He, he left the work here for us to take care of. But he said, but there's, there's few people that are willing to reach them today. And so as Jesus looked at the harvest, he acknowledged the fact that it was pitiful. These people were downcast. They were like sheep without a shepherd, but it was plentiful. There was many of them to be reached. But as he saw lost people all around him, he also recognized this problem, that there were few people who were willing to get into the harvest field and reach these people. And you know what? The same problem exists today. We just like to be comfortable, don't we? We like to sit here and do the things that we like to do. Just don't send me out there, Lord, to reach lost people. I had a, an elderly couple in the church that I was pastoring up in Indiana that told their son who told me, he said, my parents don't believe that it's their responsibility to reach lost people, that that's the pastor's responsibility. I'm like, you know what? That doesn't surprise me. There's a lot of people like that that don't feel like it's their, their, um, their responsibility, their, their calling to reach lost people. You see, reaping the soul harvest that Jesus was talking about, it's not easy. It, it takes a lot of work, and there are few people to do it. It, it seems that there are few people who are willing to, to roll up their sleeves and to get at it, to get busy about reaching unsaved people which is what Jesus has called us to do. Jesus called his men to follow him early on in his ministry, promising to make them fishers of men. If any of you guys like to fish, I know that in order to fish, you have to go where fish are, though. You know, you can't just sit in your home and say, man, I wish I could catch some fish today to eat for supper. You have to go out there and catch them. You have to catch the fish. You know, those of you who maybe are, are farmers, Know that the harvest doesn't just gather itself. You've got to get out there where the harvest is. You, you have to get down where it's dirty to, to make the harvest come in. I mean, wouldn't it be nice if we could just um, have green beans, you know, pick themselves and pile themselves on our tables? When I was a kid, I hated breaking green beans. My mom and my grandma, we had thousands and thousands of green beans as a kid, and I hated breaking those things and putting them in the stack, you know, putting the ends here. And I don't know, wouldn't it have been nice if it just gathered itself, boom, it's all done. That's kind of the way a lot of people, I think, see the, the harvest today. Wouldn't it be nice if all these lost people just came to us and we could reach them and it's, it's done? But that's not how it works. Jesus says you have to get out there into the harvest to harvest your garden, you have to go where the harvest is. And the same is true when it comes to bringing people to Christ. We have to go. We can't sit here and expect people just to come to us today because it doesn't happen like that. We have to get out into the harvest field. Haggai chapter 2, verse 19 says, Is the seed still in the barn? Is the seed still in the barn? even including the vine, the fig tree, the pomegranate, and the olive tree, is, is, has not borne fruit yet, has it? In other words, he's saying, you know what? A lot of our, the message is still in the barn. We're just keeping the gospel right here you know, in our buildings. He says, is it still here? Because if it is, it needs to be out there. Harvesting is hard work, but it has to be done. Or we're never going to see the, the huge reaping of lost souls. Spiritually speaking, we can see that people are in sad shape today. We, we know that. We can see it. 
But do we really care about them? Do we really want to see lost people saved? Or do we just like to talk about it? You know, we, we have to come to the place where we are not just content to see them, but we have to come to the place where we become willing to go out into the harvest and not just talk about it. Psalm chapter, uh, Psalm 126 verse 5 says, Those who sow in tears shall reap with joyful shouting. Verse 6 says, He who goes to and fro weeping, carrying his bag of seed, shall indeed come again with a shout of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. In other words, the harvest, it, it's going to happen. It may be hard work, but it will bring joy in the end. And if we ever hope to see the harvest through Jesus' eyes, we cannot be content to merely see it and just expect it to happen on its own. We have to do the work to see people saved. And then the last and number four is Jesus saw the power of the harvest. In verse 38, Jesus said, Therefore, beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. That's a strong word, beseech. Jesus was saying, beg your Father in heaven to send out workers into the harvest. You see, as Jesus spoke about the harvest and, and the needs associated with it, he told his disciples, he said, here's the first thing you do. Before you go out into the harvest, you have to pray. You, you have to pray. And think, okay, why would he tell his disciples, first thing you need to do is pray? Why, why would he say that? I think it's because the harvest brought into the barn is God's work. That, that He must till the soil of people's hearts. He must water the seed of the Word that is planted. And He must cast the, the sunlight upon the lost heart. Or there will never be a harvest. It's God that does the work that the Spirit stirs up in people's souls. We just have to be faithful in going out and, and, teach, and preaching the gospel to them. And God does the work. God is the one who, who makes this new birth a miracle. You know, it's an awesome work uh, of God to see done in, in people's hearts. And only He can do it. But Jesus says, you know what? You need to pray, though, over the harvest that God will send workers out into the harvest to share the gospel so God can do the work through them. And notice that Jesus told them to pray that the Lord of the harvest, that God would send forth laborers into the harvest. And again, that word beseech there is, is this Greek word to, to beg urgently. I love how the New Living Translation says it. It says, so pray to the one in charge of the harvesting and ask him to recruit more workers for the harvest fields. You know, as we develop a burden for the lost and begin to pray for them as we should, I believe God will develop a, a compassion for them within our own hearts. I think when we finally see lost people like Jesus sees it, God will develop this, this compassion within us for these people, these, these felt needs to see them as they are. And if we pray as we should be praying, God will work within us with this desire that will be born to see the people and that a harvest will actually take place. We, we have to develop a desire like, like Isaiah had in, in Isaiah chapter 6, verse 8. It says this, it says, Then I, Isaiah was speaking, Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I, Isaiah said, Here I am, Lord, send me. You see, Isaiah caught a glimpse of that. He, got a, he caught a glimpse of the harvest and God says, who am I going to send? 
And Isaiah, I think, was moved with compassion. He says, Lord, here I am. Sign me up. Send me into the harvest field. And Isaiah didn't wait for God to tap him on the shoulder and say, hey, will, will you go? Isaiah just said, here I am, Lord. Isaiah took the initiative. I will go. I will go to the people living in darkness. Here I am. Let me go, Lord. Do we have that same kind of passion today? God, sign me up. I want to reach lost people. There's darkness all around us. God, sign me up. I want to go. Do we have that kind of passion today? I remember the first time that my wife Caroline went to the Republic of Georgia was in September of 1992. The wall had just come down. Communism was, was, um, was gone, or so we thought. But when we got to the Republic of Georgia in the capital city of Tbilisi, it was so dark. I, I'm talking dark physically. All the buildings were gray. Everything was just dark. Clothing was dark. Everywhere you went, things were dark. And it was just such a picture of the people's hearts because they had been darkened for 70 years living under communism. And, and God just blew open the doors. Can you remember that? But, you know, 30 years ago now, roughly, when communism fell and the doors of the gospel, I mean, they were just wide open. And people were going to Russia and the Ukraine and all these countries. And we were going to Georgia. And if you could go there today to see how much how different things are today and how open people are to the gospel. It's amazing. Can you see the need this morning all throughout the world? If you can, the starting place is to get before God, Jesus says, in prayer and trusting Him to do the work of bringing in the harvest. And He says, if you pray, He will send forth the laborers. And you know what? That might just be you and I who go forth Billy Graham once said, The evangelistic harvest is always urgent. The destiny of men and of nations is always being decided. Every generation is strategic. We are not responsible for the past generation, and we cannot bear the full responsibility for the next one. But we do have our generation, and God will hold us responsible as to how well we fulfill our responsibilities to this age and take advantage of our opportunities. We will have no excuse when we stand before God in our generation. And he says, what did you do to reach the harvest? What did you do to reach lost people? We will have no excuse. You know, I often ask folks when we go speaking, I said, how many of you this morning want to see Jesus return? How many of you want to see Jesus come in our lifetime? And, you know, and hands go up everywhere. Oh, we want to see Jesus come back. And then I point them to this verse I share with Sunday school class. Matthew 24, 14. It's become one of my life verses. Jesus said this to a group of people who are wanting to know, tell us when the end's coming. And Jesus said, okay, here's one thing. The gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all the nations, and then the end will come. And all nations in the Greek, there's to, to all the, the Pantatai ethne, to all the ethnic groups of the world. There are 17,000 ethnic groups of the world today. 7,000 of those 17,000 have never heard the gospel. 7,000. Half of those 7,000 are unengaged people groups. It means no one is going there to reach them. And Jesus made a promise that when the end will not come until all 17,000 have heard the gospel. He talks about it in Revelation. 
He said there will be a people from every tongue, tribe, and nation, Pontotal ethnic, ethnic groups who will be worshiping together. And we still have 7,000 7, left to reach. What are we doing to reach the lost people in the world today? And we've got that much work to do. I heard a pastor say one time that Matthew 24, 14 is written on every hallway in hell. Because Satan knows when that verse is fulfilled, he's doomed. It's over. You know, many people reason that the Great Commission is, is whatever we happen to do in witness and ministry to the lost right here where we live. That's the Great Commission, just reaching lost people around us. While we, you know, we're, we're expected to do so, Jesus said, start in your Jerusalems. Make sure you've reached the folks around you in your Jerusalem. But we cannot ignore the fact that the objective of the Great Commission is the nations. It's the Pantatai ethne. It's the peoples of the world. Do you remember in Christmas 2004 when the tsunami swept across uh, Southeast Asia? Killed 250,000 people in just in a matter of hours. 250,000 people. But do you know that 250,000 people die every day in Southeast Asia without Christ? Every day. A tsunami, a spiritual tsunami takes place. 17,000 people groups, 7,000 are still unreached. Only 2,300 of those people have some portion of Scripture. 1.3 billion people have never heard the name of Jesus Christ. There is an average of one missionary for every 1.6 million lost people in the world today. That's one out of every 3,000 faithful church members to go and witness to 95% of the world's population. And I ask people again, how many of you want to see Jesus come back in your lifetime? And when I heard that the first time, it was like conviction set in. When somebody showed me Matthew 24, 14, what are we doing? We have a lot of work to do. You know, the, the signs of Christ's return will continue to be prolific you know, uh, creating speculation. But the one thing that Jesus made clear is that global evangelization will precede the end. Every people group will have a chance to hear. It's not doesn't mean every single human being in every one of those people groups will hear the gospel, but each people group will have heard. Do you know that churches in America each year continue to spend 97% of their resources on concentrating on their Jerusalems, their Judeas, and their Samarias? rather than onto the ends of the earth. That means 97% of what we gather, of our resources, stays right here in America, right here in our own little community, basically. But Jesus is saying, you need to reach the nations. 1 John chapter 3, verse 17, John says, But whoever has the world's goods and sees his brother in need and closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? When we're unwilling to reach those people in need, do you know that today in the world that Islam is the fastest growing religion in the world today? It's, it's almost doubling in, in population compared to Christianity. The fastest, it's the fastest growing religion in Ireland, Holland, Belgium, France, and Germany. All throughout Europe, Islam is spreading. And it's not spreading by conversion, it's spreading by births. Islamic people are having babies and they're, they're overpopulating Christianity today. 
Between 1990 and 2000, approximately 12.5 million more people converted to Islam than to Christianity. I read an article a while back that said that uh, Marco Polo's father and his uncle had been to China before Marco Polo went to China. And um, impressed with the teachings of the Christian civilization, Kublai Khan had asked the Polos to bring 100 Christian teachers to introduce him uh, to introduce his empire to these beliefs from the West. And that request and open door of opportunity, though, was never fulfilled. You see, they were able to enlist only two uh, Catholic priests, missionaries, who turned back early in their subsequent journey. And as a result, Kublai Khan and his entire empire embraced the teachings of Buddhism and, and all throughout India and, and Burma. Buddhism took over. Lands that lay along the western end of the road adopted a, a religion of the Arab merchants. And these trade routes became the means for spreading the Islamic faith instead of the gospel message, simply because the polos couldn't get enough people to go and witness and share the gospel in those areas of the world. I'm thinking, how many, how many areas of the world today are we losing because we're not sending? You know, we hear a, a lot about uh, Muslim extremists today. I was just talking to a gentleman after Sunday school about that. But I think, you know, where are the Christian extremists today who have this vision and passion and drive to go to the hard places of the world today to share the gospel with lost people? You know, throughout the Old Testament, God allowed Israel to be conquered and punished by pagan nations. You know, we, we, we tend to think it was because they worshipped idols and, and other gods. And that's true, but I, the primary reason it was because they disobeyed God's purpose of glorifying Him among the nations. They refused to do what He called them to do. And instead of leading those around them to know God, they, they compromised and they conformed to the cultural worldviews in which they were living sounds a lot like America today. We're just compromising. We're adapting the worldview around us instead of living and doing the things that God's called us to do. And instead of focusing on extending God's kingdom and proclaiming His glory among the nations, the Israelites, they became self-centered and concerned for their own welfare and blessings. Israel was disobedient to following God because their eyes had become blind to God's purpose, they stopped seeing the harvest around them. They became inward focused on themselves instead of their mission to reach the nations. Their, their hearts were hardened toward God and towards the peoples in darkness to whom they were supposed to be witnesses to. Are we any different today? Could it be that God's blessings and anointings are being withheld from America because we're failing to see the vision and we're failing to, to see the purpose that God's called us to? I mean, to, to what extent must God allow our nation to suffer and our churches to flounder because we, we begin to look beyond our own programs or we're failing to look beyond ourselves at the larger mission in the world today? You know, I, I know it's unnatural to love the unlovely. It's unnatural to love people that are different from us, people that have tattoos and piercings and so on and so forth. It's unnatural to care for the repulsive and to give you know, oneself to the needs of others. We are, we are basically self-centered creatures who tend to focus on our needs, comfort, and security. Are we not? We just want our needs met. We want to live in comfort and just see things continue as they've always continued. 
And meanwhile, Jesus is waiting for Matthew 24, 14 to be fulfilled. What are we doing to reach the harvest today? I want to challenge you this morning as we close to take your eyes, for all of us, to take our eyes off of ourselves, to take our eyes off of our needs and our problems and see the multitudes as Jesus saw them and see the potential of the harvest. I saw this story years ago when I was in college. Someone brought it to my attention. It's by a guy named Ron Hutchcraft, who was a gifted evangelist back in the 80s and 90s, and he once described the sinking of the Titanic on one of his radio programs. And he stated only 700 of the 2,200 passengers on the Titanic survived its sinking. Some 1,500 people died in the North Atlantic that night of April 15, 1912, at 2.20 a.m. It was an awful scene. But the greatest tragedy may be that many of them didn't have to die. Many people climbed into the 20 lifeboats, but several were only half full. Hundreds of people were in the cold water with life preservers. Most of them did not die from drowning. They died of hypothermia. The people in the lifeboats heard the cries of those crying, but they chose not to go back for fear of capsizing. Only one lifeboat returned after it was too late. Of the hundreds who were in the water, only six were rescued. Those who were already saved didn't go after those who were dying. Then Hutchcraft asked, are we the people in the lifeboat who have already been saved, but we're doing nothing about the people dying around us? We're surrounded by dying people. If you look at the faces of people where you work, where you live, where you go to school, where you shop, you will be seeing what people in hell will look like. Those people are all around us. We must ask God to break our hearts for those people where they're linked to Jesus. Let me ask you this morning, what are you willing to sacrifice today to lead someone to salvation in Jesus Christ? Are, are you comfortable? Are you, are you willing to give up your comfortable home life? Are you willing to give up your comfortable job position, your friendships, maybe even your life? The great commission that Jesus gave us is, is not optional. It's not some kind of a specialized task for an elite force of, of missionaries, but they were marching orders for all of us to go out into the harvest field. Will you today identify with their suffering? Will you bear their burdens? Will you minister to healing hearts that are hurting? I'll close with this. Romans 10, 14, and 15 says, How then will they call upon Him whom they have not believed? And how will they believe in Him whom they have not heard? And how will they hear without a preacher? And how will they preach unless they are sinned? Let's pray. Fathers, we uh, close out our worship this morning. Lord, help us to see the lost, to see the harvest as Jesus saw the harvest. God, open our eyes, open our hearts to the needs that are so numerous around us. God, help us not only see the physical needs of people, but that we would dig deeper and see people as you saw them, that we would see their spiritual needs, that they are lost and wandering around like sheep without a shepherd.
Father, help us to always keep Matthew 24, 14 on our hearts, knowing that you said you will not return until all peoples have had a chance to hear. God, we know that the harvest is pitiful and potential is there. But the problem is there's just not enough workers that are willing to go out. God, convict us, each one of us in this room. Lord, there's something we can do, each and every one of us. We can go, we can pray, we can give. God, convict us this morning to see the harvest as you see them. Father, that's our prayer this morning in Jesus' name. Amen.